Welcome to Arbel Ministries podcast with Mark Whitehead. Today we're going to look at Numbers chapter 8. Before we begin, I want to remind you uh, what we discussed in the last podcast. We, we discussed that we began a new theme in the book of Numbers. See, Numbers chapter 7 through Numbers chapter 9 look at this idea of how do you celebrate when you're in the presence of God? And so last podcast, we, did, we discussed several things, but one thing we finished talking about was this idea that because God is there, He is a God who speaks, who leads with His voice. So we have to hear His voice and understand His voice. We have to have our ears in tune with the frequency of his voice. And so our job, if he is with us, is to simply trust him, to worship him, and to listen to him. Now, as we get to Numbers chapter 8, there's something else I want us to look at as far as what it means to celebrate God's presence. Numbers 8, Start with me in verse 1. We're just going to start out reading the first three verses. It says this, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, and we'll stop there. That's, again, a theme that we have talked about over and over in our podcast together. The theme of the book of Numbers is that God took his people into the desert. The book of Numbers is 100% their time in the desert. And he wanted them to learn to hear his voice. They had just left Egypt. They were in bondage and slavery. And if they were going to follow him, they needed to learn to hear his voice. So you see this phrase over and over in the book of Numbers of the Lord spoke, the Lord spoke. The Hebrew phrase is way to beer. And you will see it 61 times in this one book because it is the overarching thing that God wanted his people to understand when they were in the desert. So the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to Aaron and say to him, when you mount the lamps, the seven lamps will give light in the front of the lampstand. Aaron therefore did so. He mounted its lamps at the front of the lampstand, just as the Lord had commanded Moses. Let me just begin this podcast by making a disclaimer. See, the New Testament, in the book of Hebrews, chapter 9, it says that the earthly tabernacle was an illustration or a symbol for the present time. That's Hebrews 9, verse 9. And so sometimes I don't know if we completely understand how important it is for us to dig in and see some of these Old Testament passages, especially about the tabernacle. Because if the tabernacle and all those things that God put in the tabernacle are an illustration or a symbol for us today, then we better stop and slow down long enough to see about these illustrations and see what God's trying to tell us today, what he packed into Scripture uh, several thousand years ago. So, 
Numbers 8 begins by looking at, we just read this lampstand, or, or menorah is the other word you might use to describe it. And, and we're going to look at this vital piece of the tabernacle, this menorah, in more detail in a moment. But I just want you to begin to wrap your mind around the reason why we discuss these things in such great detail. God has packed so much into the tabernacle that we tend to read right past because it doesn't have anything to do with where we are today or our walk today. But those details matter. If it's an illustration of our present time and who we are in Christ, we better dig in and see what God has to say about these objects and these things. Now, in Exodus 25, we read about the menorah and how God constructed the menorah, the, 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 exactly how they were to make it. And we are going to examine that in, in just a moment. But the menorah was such an important part. It was in the holy place, and it gave light so that the priests could, could see what they're doing as they did God's work. Um, so and we started in, in chapter 8 of Numbers, and it says the menorah, it says specifically in verse 2, when you mount the lamps, the seven lamps will give light in the front of the lamp stand. Where is the light coming from? It's coming from the lamps. The lamps are different than the lamp stand. Do you see this idea? The menorah is the lamp stand. It is not something that produces light in and of itself. Lamps had to be placed on the menorah, on the lampstand, if light was to be shown. So the menorah is the lampstand. Its job was to make the light that was there more visible. That's its job. Now, if we fast forward to the end of our Bible, in Revelation chapter 1, it says this, then I turned to see the voice that was speaking with me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, or menorah. And in the middle of the lampstands, I saw one like a son of man, clothed in a robe, reaching to the feet, and girded across his chest with a golden sash. You picture him? His head and his hair were white, like white wool, like snow. And his eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze when it has been made to glow in a furnace. And his voice was like a sound of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars and out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining in its strength. Revelation 1, verses 12 through 16, John's vision of heaven. Now, what were those seven golden lampstands? What were those seven menorah that he talked about at the very beginning of that passage? Well, he says the last verse of Revelation 1 says that those lampstands, those menorahs, were the seven churches. That's Revelation 1, 20. They represented the church, those seven churches. 
that were the, the target of revelation. Now, do you understand what our role is as the church? I believe even today, our church is to be the menorah for our world. Now, you got to get this because a menorah does not produce its own light. It does not produce its own light. Lamps are placed on the menorah, and those lamps are the source of the light. The menorah simply makes that light visible. It's a platform so that the light will be made evident. So that's our job as the church is to be this lampstand. And the light doesn't come from us. It comes from Jesus. But understand, too, the menorah's job, it was to burn at all times. Listen to Exodus chapter 37, verse 20. You shall charge the sons of Israel that they bring you clear oil of beaten olives for the light to make a lamp burn continually. So that, that light on the menorah was to always be burning. If we are the menorah and Jesus is the light, our job is to make sure that the light is shining continually. There should never be a moment that the light is, as we read Jesus talk about, is hidden under a basket or a bushel. That's Matthew chapter 5, verse 15. Do you see where Jesus is drawing that image out of? Because a menorah's job is to burn at all times. Those lamps on the menorah to be burning continuously at all times. And then Jesus comes along and he says, by the way, never let your light be hidden where people can't see the effects of the light. And I love what he says in the very next verse. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Do you understand the reason behind Jesus telling us to let our light shine at all times? Yes, it comes straight out of those priests' job with the menorah, that it was to burn at all times. And then Jesus draws on that and says, by the way, your light should be doing that too because when people see the light in you, they're not going to glorify you. That's not what the text says. They're going to turn and glorify your Father who is in heaven. When others see Jesus in us, God will be glorified. But we have to let our light shine continuously. Look at Numbers chapter 8, verse 4. We're going to keep going. Now, this was the workmanship of the lampstand, hammered work of gold from its base to its flowers. It was hammered work according to the pattern which the Lord had shown Moses. So he made the lampstand. You know, something that you may not know about me is that I'm an artist. It's true. Um, I took an entire class on art when I was in high school. I guess that makes me an artist. I don't know. But what I remember 
from that class is the, the first thing that the teacher would do at the beginning of the class was to give specific instructions of what we were to be coloring or painting or drawing that day. And she was very clear at, at what we were to do during that class with her instructions. Um, so I remember my artwork included things like this beautiful beach scene. I remember doing a couple of mountain scenes. There was even a day where we did a live portrait where somebody was like standing in the middle of the room and we had to draw from the angle that we saw them. Um, we went outside one, one day and we drew the outside of our high school building. Um, oh, and then there was the time where we did even calligraphy and she showed us how to do calligraphy, which was really special to me because this is no joke. I got first place. And it went on to like the region and I got first place. So um, I'm not sure if you know, uh, if you get in contact with me, maybe I could do some like wedding invitations or something like that, but uh, maybe not because that was years ago. But um, my art career, and yes, it was a career, even though it was like a semester long, revolved around hearing specific instructions and creating that specific image. There was a pattern given to me by the teacher and it was up to me to follow those orders and bring that pattern into fruition. Well, in Numbers 8, Moses was given a specific pattern for this lampstand. And God told him exactly how to make it. It was to be made of one continuous piece of gold, it says, so not, these, not several pieces joined together. Um, Exodus 25 also says that it was to have, it says specifically, almond flowers with bud and blossoms on its branches. Exodus 25, 33. Now, why? Well, to simplify that, let, let me just tell you what the tabernacle, one reason God put what he put in the tabernacle was understand he met with Moses on Mount Sinai. And that was a wedding. Make no mistake about it. He married his people that day in Exodus. Well, now he has a bride and he wants to go around wherever his bride goes. So he needs a portable way of doing that. So the portable tabernacle was a way that he could be with his bride everywhere. And so those elements of the tabernacle that we read about, many of them, there are parallels to what we read in the Sinai story. So when you read about this menorah that gives off light and it's looking like a, a tree or a bush, to a Jew, the first thing you think about is the burning bush. So the menorah is this place that reminds a Jew of, Oh yeah, remember how God met with Moses miraculously that day at Sinai. So that's, that's this picture. Now, on your, I have a presentation for you. I have a couple pictures as far as menorah goes. And the first picture is a menorah at a place called Timna Park. It's, it's in South Israel. You can go there. It's an incredible place. They have a life-size replica of the tabernacle. And in that tabernacle is this replica of the menorah built to scale. And it's pretty incredible. But understand that in order for Moses to get it right, he had to carefully listen 
and obey God's exact orders. I mean, that was the same thing that I had to do in my art class. In order for me to create, to create the correct image, I had to listen carefully and obey the teacher's exact orders. Now listen to the words of Jesus. We talked about this in the last podcast. John 10, 27. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. In order to follow your shepherd, you have to first hear his voice. So I have to be sensitive to my shepherd. I must know his voice. So I better have my ears in tune to the frequency of his voice, but I must not only hear his voice, I have to then obey what he says. That text says that his sheep follow him. They don't just hear his voice. They don't hear him just call him calling for them, but they actually follow. And in the very same way that I followed those instructions of my art teacher way back in high school, I must listen carefully to the Lord's instructions, but then I've got to obey them precisely. That's the model of Moses as he created this lampstand, this menorah, according to the pattern that God revealed to him. So here's the question I have to wrestle with today. Am I listening to the Lord's instructions? Are my ears open? But also, am I obeying him completely so that the final product will be exactly what he desires? It's a tough question. But understand to celebrate God's presence, to truly celebrate that the God of the universe is with you it means that we must be obedient. You're not celebrating his presence if you simply hear his voice, but then you don't act out what he's telling you to do. Obedience is required. So before we move on uh, in our text, I I want you, and in our uh, episode notes, I'll show you another picture here again uh, of another, a second type of menorah. Um, A typical menorah for Hanukkah today, if you see a picture in December that Hanukkah is coming up for a Jew and they're celebrating it, it looks slightly different than that menorah that we showed you that was in the tabernacle in Timnah. If you see that picture, one big difference is that there's nine lights rather than seven. And you may say, well, why nine? What's What's the reason for them Put nine. Well, first thing, know that Hanukkah, which is also known as the Festival of Lights, is this Jewish holiday. And I know we spoke about it very briefly in the last podcast, but it commemorates this Maccabean revolt against the Seleucid Empire. It was back in 167 BC. And during this time, on this revolt, they rededicated the second temple of Jerusalem because, see, understand, these priests that were there were rotten. And the Maccabees said, you know what? That's not right. They're not following God's word. They're not living out what they're supposed to live out. So they, they overthrew the Seleucids. And why is there this eight-day uh, um, issue with Hanukkah? Well. During that revolt, they're in the temple. Understand the oil that's on the menorah. It doesn't last long. 
Matter of fact, they have to go refill it often. And somehow we read that the lamps on the menorah burned for eight consecutive nights and eight consecutive days. The reason why Hanukkah today is for eight, it's an eight-day festival. But that's not the only reason why. So yes, they light a different candle every day when it comes to Hanukkah. And so you need more candles than seven. But that's not the only reason why there's that many, why there's more than we read about in Scripture. See, the Talmud says that the seven-lamp menorah is only to be used in the temple. So the Hanukkah menorah has more candles because it's not supposed to only have seven unless it's placed within the temple. So at Hanukkah, there, there's a different menorah. Now, the rest of, of Numbers 8, we're not going to read a ton of verses, um, but it focuses on these Levites that we've already discussed in our podcast, getting them ready for service in the tabernacle. So look at Numbers 8, verse 5, because you're going to see a, a phrase that, that, that stands out yet again. It says this, again, the Lord spoke to Moses. What do you know? Another way to beer. God speaking, the theme of the, the book of Numbers, God speaking. And then he goes through verses 6 through 13 and says, for these Levites, there are specific things that I need you to do to get them ready for service. And he says things like, sprinkle water on them to cleanse them and, and shave their bodies. It seems odd. We'll talk about that in a minute. And wash their clothes. And, and then you're supposed, they're supposed to be presented um, before the Israelites at the tabernacle. And then there was some laying on of hands, which may kind of make you weirded out for some of you. Um, but then they were presented to God as this wave offering. Again, we read right past wave offering because that's not something we do in our culture. We'll get back to that in a moment. Then there's this sin offering and this burnt offering, and they were given to atone for the sins of the Levites. They can't be working for the Lord with their sins hanging over their head. And lastly, they are presented once again before God as another wave offering. So that's Numbers 8, verses 6 through 13. Now, let's talk about this. What on earth, first off, is that wave offering that we just talked about? Especially if they're going to be waved twice, we needed to know what on earth is that about? Well, in the book of Exodus and the book of Leviticus, this idea of wave offering has already been introduced. A wave offering is something waved before the Lord as a symbol of saying, God, I am thankful for this. So it might be maybe a piece of sacrifice that you wave and say, God, I know this is from you. Thank you so much. But it's not just saying thank you to God. That wave offering has a second component. It's saying, God, I am completely devoted to you. I am completely committed to you. I'm completely dependent on you. I recognize that this came from you. And if you don't continue to give me things, I'm going to do without and so this wave offering is saying, not only, God, thank you for what you've given me here, but I am completely dependent on you because you are the provider, you are the sustainer, and I am relying on you. So if these Levites were a wave offering, 
then the people were saying this, Lord, thank you so much for this group of people, these Levites. Thank you for equipping them to do the work of the tabernacle. Thank you for equipping them to be your servants. God, you are so good. But it, it also said this, the people are saying, God, we are dependent on you, not these Levites. Huh. So many times in our churches today, we are dependent on the servants that God gives us, the pastors, the preachers, the elders. And yes, I am thankful for them. They should be a wave offering where we say thank you so much for them. But understand this wave offering is also saying that it, the, the, the God's people were saying we are completely dependent on you, Lord. Not these Levites. We are dependent on you. Now, we live in a culture that really doesn't necessarily depend on the Lord, do we? Maybe you disagree, but there's no way to disagree with the fact that we are so blessed. If your family household income is $40,000, you are in the top 2% of the people in the world. You may feel like, you know what? I have nothing. I am poor as I can be. But to the world standards, you are absolutely phenomenally blessed and rich. You make more than 29.3 times the average person in the world. If your family household income is $60,000. You are in the top 0.8% of the world, and you make more than 39.6 times more than the average person in the world, almost 40 times more than the average person in the world. Now, let me ask you a question. Does your daily bread really come from the Lord? Or are you trusting in riches that you've already accumulated? Now, this, this is stepping on my own toes. This is not for anybody specific out there. This is, these are things we need to wrestle with, guys. We know every good and perfect gift comes from the Lord. That's exactly true, James 1.17. And I ex completely believe that with everything I am. So yes, even our money and our blessings come from Him. Let me ask you, how often do we daily live depending on the Lord in such a way that, you know, if he doesn't come through today, we're in trouble? See, maybe we need to learn what a wave offering looks like. That if our lives are going to be this wave offering of saying, God, thank you for everything you've blessed me with. Maybe we need to stop depending on those things. Maybe we need to start depending on him the provider and the giver of those things. Maybe some of us need to hear this, that we need to learn what it looks like to step out in faith with what he's blessed us with and allow him to use those blessings for his purposes rather than our own. See, I, I can't help but think right now as I'm recording this uh, podcast, we're in the middle of a pandemic. And, and I, I can't help but think that at this time, God's trying to teach his church 
what it means to depend on Him. See, many of you, if you're listening right now, and maybe this is something that happened in the past, but you may have taken a big hit with your bank account or a big hit with your retirement or savings. I'm sure there are some that may even be listening right now that have been laid off or, or your, your hours at work have been reduced drastically. What if, even in the midst of pandemics, even in the midst of when things aren't going well, we offered our life as a wave offering? What if we came back to the place where we understood that God really is all we need? that our dependence is completely on Him, that He truly is our provider and our sustainer, that is a wave off. That's a wave off. That's what these Levites were for the people in Numbers 8. God, thank you so much for these people, but we are dependent on you, not them. There's something else that I I wanted to touch on in, in those verses too. It said that their bodies were shaved. And this is an odd thing probably because you may not know this, but if you were an Egyptian priest at this time, do you know how you purified yourself? You shave your body. Every three days, Egyptian priests shave their body. So that that might make your head spin. You're probably thinking, why on earth is God instructing them to do a practice that the Egyptians did? That just doesn't make sense because this is only a year after they have left the bondage of Egypt. And now all of a sudden, God's saying that to, to separate these Levites, to make them holy, to purify them, to get them ready for service, shave their bodies. Do you think God, even today, uses things in our culture that we already know about and then redeems them for his purposes. See, I do. I fully believe that, that God uses what we already know in culture and says, you know what? I want my people to be purified for my purposes. And I'm going to use something you already know about in culture to say, this is the process of that purification. That's what he did with his shaving them. Yeah, he shaved them like the Egyptian priests. The people already had a reference point to know what that meant. We also know, by the way, that shaving and bathing and washing of clothes, just like we read about in Numbers 8, was practiced among the Mesopotamian cultures, even before God said to do it with the Israel. And again, I wrestled with this when I was in Israel almost three years ago now. And I went to this temple, and I can take you right back to where I was sitting when I realized that even when God instructed, this is the size I want my tabernacle, this is the size I want my temple, this is what I want in there, that the objects in the tabernacle and in the temple were already being used in Canaanite culture. They already had a holy place. They already had a temple. They already had a bronze laver. They already had a holy of holies. And God says, I want to use what you already know about, but yet I want to redeem it for my purposes. And I just invite you to come to Israel with me. 
And I want to show you how many things God took that the culture had and redeemed and says, now I want to use these things for myself. You already know why they were created, but I want to show you why they can be used for my purposes. And I think the same thing happens in our life. That there are things that right now you're probably doing just because it's fun for yourself. And God says, I want to redeem even that for my purposes. God woke me up to this years ago. I played so much golf. I was away from my family. And and God said, you know what? I know you have a passion for golf and you love it, but what if you play only when you want to invest in the lives of the people you're playing with? It's not just for your enjoyment. Yeah, you'll still enjoy those days out, but what if there's a bigger purpose for your golf? And I say that because God is a redeeming God. He takes things that are we already have a reference point for, and he says, I want to redeem those things for my purposes. Numbers 8, verses 15 and 19, we're reminded of something that we talked about in a previous podcast, in podcast for Numbers 3. The Levites were the firstborn of Israel. And and I would just recommend, if you haven't listened to Numbers 3, I go into much more detail about this idea of the firstborn. Because see, when God took his people out of Egypt, and he killed all of those Egyptians, one of the first things he said is, okay, I need, I need a redemption price for all the blood that was shed for this. And he looks at the Levites. So actually, originally, he looks at the firstborn males and the firstborn male animals, and they're the redemption price. But then later on, we see in Numbers 3, the Levites become this redemption price. Now, go listen to that podcast to hear that in more detail. But they were said to be the firstborn of Israel. Because, see, the firstborn is the redemption price. Now, the firstborn in their culture had a couple responsibilities. See, it's the firstborn's responsibility that they were to take care of the family using the father's resources. So if you're the firstborn... Your job is to take care of the rest of the family using the resources of the father. So understand what a Levite's role is then. They're there to use the father's resources, God's resources, and take care of those other families in Israel. But there's more to it than just that. Because see, the firstborn also has the responsibility. It says in verse 19, Look at that with me. I have given the Levites as a gift to Aaron and to his sons from among the sons of Israel to perform the service of the sons of Israel at the tent of meeting and to make atonement on behalf of the sons of Israel so that there will be no plague among the sons of Israel by by their coming near to the sanctuary. So listen, they were to make atonement for Israel. What on earth does that mean? Well, that word literally means a shielding substitute. So we see later in Numbers chapter 18 that the Levites were this lightning rod that attracts God's wrath when Israel sinned. Does that seem fair? They're not the ones doing the sinning. Why should they be the lightning rod? 
They're not the ones doing the sinning. Why should they take his wrath? God took it out on the Levites. Understand, believer in Jesus, understand what he has done for you. See, Jesus became like a Levite, and it says over and over in Scripture that he is the firstborn. Listen to some verses. Romans 8, 29, For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to be, become like his son, so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Colossians 1.15, the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Colossians 1.18 says he is the firstborn from the dead. Hebrews 1.6, he's the firstborn in the world. Revelation 1.5, he's the firstborn of the dead. Understand what Jesus' job was as the firstborn. First off, his job is to take the Father's resources and take care of those who are in the family and to go after the ones that are no longer in the family and bring them back in and restore them in their place. That is the job of the firstborn. But there's more to it than that because a firstborn's job is also to take the wrath of God and be the shielding substitute for the people. Do you? See what Jesus is for you. He is your shielding substitute, your atonement. Then we see, as we kind of finish off this podcast, Numbers 23 through, excuse me, verses 23 through 26 of Numbers 8. We talked about this previously in, in, the, in, the, in the chapter 4 podcast, but it talks about this retirement of a Levite. And we, we see that in these verses that age 50, God says, okay, if once you reach 50 years old, you're going to retire from being that leader of the Levites. But he doesn't say, go back to your tent, go back to wherever you are and put your feet up on the coffee table and watch TV the rest of your life. You've done your due diligence. Good job. Thank you for working hard. Now give it to somebody younger. That's not what it says. Because then they were to go and assist the other Levites, the younger Levites with their duty. And I'm telling you, if you're listening to this podcast, Maybe you're over the age of 50 and you're thinking, you know what? I don't have the energy I used to have. I don't have the ability to do the things that I used to do. I'm tired, easy. I'm telling you, we still need you. God still wants to use you. You have experiences. You have things that God has placed in you and has taught you that he wants you to entrust and pass down to the younger generation. Run through the tape. Don't walk. Don't go home and put your feet up. Find a way to find younger believers, pull beside them and invest in them and let help them do their job well. We need you. We need you. So this theme of these chapters and numbers is celebrating God's presence. So yeah, we, what are we to do when we realize God is with us? Well, first off, we are to be like a menorah and continually 
let his light shine through us every second of every day. In the last podcast, we talked about hearing God's voice, but it's not enough to simply hear his voice. We've got to obey what he tells us to do. That's another way we celebrate his presence. Next, our, our lives should be a wave offering where, we're, where we tell God, yes, thank you for how you've blessed us, but God, I am completely 100% dependent on you. Lastly, we, we, we are to understand the fullness of who Jesus is. He is our shielding substitute. And when you understand who he is, I'm telling you, you can't help but celebrate. So, believer, live in such a way that allows the light of Jesus to shine through you. And when this happens, others will glorify our Father who's in heaven. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you want to reach out to me, you can find me on Twitter at, at Arbel Ministries. I'd be happy to talk to you more about some of this. Um, but just thank you for listening, and we'll catch you next time. <music>